0: of what we believe God has called us to do in East Vancouver, please reach out to me at jake at Today's scripture reading is from 1 Corinthians 16, verses 12 to 18. Now concerning our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to visit you with the other brothers, but it was not at all his will to come now. He will come when he has the opportunity. Be watchful. Stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. Now I urge you, brothers, you know that the household of Stephanus were the first converts of Achaia, and that they have devoted themselves to the service of the saints. Be subject to such as these, and to, follow, and to every fellow worker and laborer. I rejoice at the coming of Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaychus, because they have made up for your absence, for they refresh my spirit as well as yours. Give recognition to such people.
1: Please see it. And as you're seated, uh, let's, let's pray. Uh, God, we, we come before you and acknowledge our need of you. We ask that you would grant us grace to, to hear your word to grasp what you are saying to us uh, and to apply it to our lives. Would you move uh, in us and amongst us by your spirit to do a work to change us, to grow us uh, into the likeness of Jesus? Uh, For your glory, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as Jake mentioned last week, we are in the final stretch of our two-year journey in 1 Corinthians. Um, next week, Jake's going to wrap up the series with, with a summary of, of all that we've been through. And then in the following weeks, we're going to spend seven weeks uh, in the book of Mark exploring the question, who is Jesus? And so we look forward to, uh, to going through that and, and, and discovering the wonders of who Jesus is. Now, as we, we think back, About all that Paul has written in 1 Corinthians, we are reminded of a whole host of problems that existed in the church. There was division, right? There were factions that that had grown as people in Corinth uh, sought their own advantage through elevating one leader over another. There was sexual sin that had brought great shame upon the church. The worship gathering had become disordered, chaotic, as people were using their, their spiritual gifts without concern for others. See, pride was rampant, and selfishness was prominent. And as Paul brings his letter to the Corinthians to a close, I think, I think Paul is reflecting back on many of these things. He's reminded of the great mess That existed in the Corinthian church. And I think as he thinks about it, he's reminded that that this mess didn't just happen overnight. Right. Corinth wasn't wasn't a church that was like vibrant and healthy, and then all of a sudden a mess. But it it was something that happened over time, gradually. There was a drift that happened in this church. See, the problems didn't just appear out of nowhere. Like many things in life, there was a progression, one step at a time, one concession, one area of neglect that multiplied over time, leading to all kinds of problems. And so so Paul, aware of the potential to drift spiritually, the potential to become neglectful, careless in one's faith, he calls, his readers, he calls us to watchfulness to be attentive, to watch how we're conducting our lives, to watch how we're tending our hearts, how we're caring for one another. See, Paul understands the human condition and that even as a redeemed people, we are a people who are prone to wander. We often sing about this. That we are a people who can be easily distracted, easily dissuade. And so Paul says, be watchful, be careful. Think about what you're doing. Be mindful of how you're living, of what you're believing, how you're acting among the body of Christ. And so this, this brings us to our outline for this morning, that we would be watchful. We would be watchful over our life, watchful over our hearts, and over our relationships. So let's look at the first point. Be watchful over your life. So we're going to begin in verse 13, which says, Be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. Now, as we look at this, I think think Paul has a couple things in mind. It seems like kind of one string of of, of thought, but I, I think there are a couple pieces to it. So, so look at what he says first. Be watchful, stand firm in the faith. And, and I think what he's doing here is he's reminding us of something he said in chapter 15. Now, when we read it, we may be thinking, stand firm in the faith, that he's calling us to have more faith, right? That he's saying, you know, if you, if you can just like drum up more faith, stand firm, but but he, i think he's pointing us to something else something that he referenced in chapter 15 that that it's not more faith that we need but it's a consistent faith in one thing and that is the gospel so back in in chapter 15 he said i would remind you brothers of the gospel i preached to you which you received in which you stand and by which you are being saved if you hold fast to the word, I preach to you unless you believed in vain. Now, now what is this gospel that, that Paul is talking about? What is, is this that, that, that they are uh, encouraged to stand in, that we are encouraged to be watchful in? Well, the gospel, it, it means good news. Many Many of you know this. It means good news. What is the good news? Well, it's good news that says God has loved you. God has loved you even though you're not deserving of his love. That God has set his love on a people who in sin have rejected him, and yet he still loved them. And in love, God set about to fix things. God set about to make right the wrongs that existed between him and humanity. So God sent his son. He sent Jesus. He sent Jesus to fix the problem of sin that we all struggle with. And through his death, he paid for sin. Through his resurrection, he brings us into new life. And those who believe in him, those who trust in him, those who say that that it's only Jesus and his death and resurrection that can save me, they have forgiveness of sins a new life in him. That's the gospel. That is the the message, the good news that Paul is saying, stand firm in. Don't move away from this. Don't drift. Be firmly rooted in this news about what Jesus has done. Now, now we remember back a, a few chapters ago that one of the problems in Corinth, was false teaching, right? Uh, the distorted truth of the gospel. See, some had infiltrated the church, and they had introduced heretical teaching that denied the resurrection of Jesus. And, and through neglectfulness and, and, and failing to protect this fundamental doctrine, the gospel, people began to drift and believe the things that were being introduced by those who, who have these heresies. And began to, to drift from believing in the resurrection and, and even believing in, in the physical reality of Jesus, that, that he was incarnated. And, and now we may not struggle in these ways, right? This was happening at their time, and, and we go, yeah, okay, but I don't struggle with believing in the resurrection. Um, I'm, I'm okay with the incarnation, so, so I think I'm okay on this point. But I think if, if we if we look closely, if we are watchful, we'll recognize that there are other ideas in our culture that challenge the truth of the gospel, that challenge the, the goodness of the gospel, the sufficiency of the gospel, the power of the gospel. There are ideas that can creep in from our culture that we can begin to buy into and then discover that we have begun to lost our way with this foundational truth for our lives. Let's, let's look at one example. Uh, an idea that, that would cast doubt on the truth of the gospel. In, in current thinking among many psychologists, if, if you, look, if they, you know, take a look at people who have behavioral issues, they would say the, the cause of those issues is a problem with self-esteem. They would say the problem is low self-esteem. You see, people maybe were not loved well uh, at, at a stage of their life, or, or those who were significant had maybe not provided all that, that they, would, they thought they would need, and, and they, they, they have a low self-esteem. And they act out of that um, negatively uh, in behaviors as a way of coping and and i admit i I've, I've read this before and at times i've gone like that sounds that sounds right like that makes sense i, I could could see how that could work but here's the problem if if our fundamental issue is self esteem then the answer to that is just having people pump our tires, make us feel better about ourselves. And when we do this, when we buy into this, we're denying something fundamental in the gospel. First, that our, that our, that our problem is sin. And second, that Jesus is the answer. And, and it can be so subtle that we drift into this. But yeah, that, that, that makes sense and then we find ourselves going to our friend who's struggling, well, what you need is is more self-esteem rather than the truth that they need is Jesus. See, if we're not watchful, we can easily begin to embrace ideas from our culture. And we find ourselves not centered on the truth of Jesus. Now, now, as I had mentioned, we, we can think about standing firm in the gospel as this thing that, that, that we muster up strength to do. Something that, that we have to work hard at. But, but I, I think there's, there's something that is remarkable and beautiful about the gospel that we need to understand that helps us to, to actually stand firm in it. See, the gospel is not only truth that we cling to, right? It's not only a message that we hold to. It's more than that. The gospel is the thing we cling to, but it's also the means by which we cling. And this sounds a little bit convoluted, but stick with me. (laughs) It's it's the thing we cling cling to, and it's also the means by which we cling. What do I mean by this? Look at, at 1 Corinthians 1.18. It says this, For the word of the cross, the gospel, is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. The power of God. The gospel is the power of God at work in God's people. See, do you know that that as you trust in the gospel, God's power is at work in you? Not just to save you, but to sanctify you, to make you new. That through our, our standing firm in the truth of the gospel, God's power is exerted in your life. How do we stand in it? Well, by God's grace, we stand as He empowers us to do so. It's this wonderful mystery of, of this message that God uses to make us new. See, as we cling to it, we're empowered by it. Now let's look at the second part of verse 13. Just as we are to stand firm in the faith, Paul also says, act like men, be strong. Now, to, to get a, a clear picture of what he's saying here, because I think this, this idea of act like men, it, it, it stirs up all kinds of images from our culture of, of what strength looks like. Is this what Paul means, you know, that, that we're supposed to be tough and burly in our faith or something? I, I think there's a helpful story in 1 Kings that, that sheds some light on, on this idea of, of manliness and strength. Um, in the book of 1 Kings, it's, it's one of the Old Testament books, and, and it tells the history of the kings of Israel. And in chapter 2 of the book, we find the succession story where King David is appointing his son Solomon to be king. And, and as, as David is, is giving his throne to his son, he, he gives these words of instruction to him. 1 Kings 2, 1 to 3, he says, He says, I'm about to go the way of the earth. Be strong and show yourself a man and keep the charge of the Lord your God, walking in his ways and keeping his statutes, his commandments, his rules, and his testimonies as, as it is written in the law of Moses. That you may prosper in all that you do and wherever you turn. See, the language in our text, it seems to echo what David has said to Solomon here. Act like a man. Show yourself a man. Be strong. And, and so we, we begin to get a sense as we, we see what follows Uh, in David's words. Look at verse 3. He says, Keep the charge of the Lord your God, walking in his ways, keeping his statutes, his commandments, his rules, and his testimonies, as it is written in the law of Moses. In several different ways, David is saying the same thing. To be strong, to show yourself a man, is to be unwavering in one's commitment to God's word. To walk in obedience to what God has said. See, strength is walking according to the truth of God. Or we might say that true manliness is godliness. True manliness is godliness. And this is an idea that is so different from what culture says. True manliness is obeying the Lord strength is doing what the word says see watchfulness over our lives will require us to be watchful over our beliefs and our behaviors what we do what we do with god's word and, and we could talk about obedience we could talk about ways in which which we fail to to walk according to God's words. But but I think there's something more foundational for us this morning here. I don't think um, talking about the ways that we are disobedient is necessarily what we need most. I think one of the ways that we may be neglectful, that we may drift that we may walk into disobedience, is through a fundamental neglect of God's word. See, to walk according to the word, we must be in the word. And so, so perhaps a starting point for us being watchful over our lives, standing firm in the faith, acting like men, being strong, will be to engage in a more regular diet of God's word. Perhaps the way we begin to be watchful is by changing our habits and how we're engaging with this. And with that, along with that, I think we we need to be not just mindful of, of how much of the word we're reading, but what we're doing once we've read it. See, I, th- I think that one of the big issues in the church, in our culture, in, in, I would say in, in, in the Western church, has not necessarily been um, the reading of God's Word. But the bigger issue, I think, has been the application of God's Word. I, I think we, we have a church in general, generally speaking, in North America, that has, has amassed a great amount of knowledge about the Bible. And yet, has done little with it. I think we've become a people that know much and do little. I mean, that might be true here, but I think generally speaking, in our culture... I would say that, that, that in decades, we've seen people that have become fat and lazy spiritually, feasting on knowledge, loving the Bible, um, loving the next book that comes out, the, the next movie, but never actually allowing the truth to shape one's life. <laughs> Francis Chan uh, tells an illustration that, that I think captures this well. He says, imagine, imagine that, that you, you say to your son or your daughter, you, say, you go to your child and you say, clean your room. And they, they go away, they come back, and they say, um guess what? They're like, what? Well, I went away and I studied really hard. I studied what it would look like to clean my room. And, and, and I've discovered this wonderful picture of what it would look like to clean my room. Francis Chan goes on to say, imagine you tell your child to go clean their room. They go away and they come back excited. Guess what? Well, I got together with my friends. And, and, and we, we, we sat around and we had this most amazing discussion about what it would look like to clean my room. We had all of these great ideas that we talked about. It was amazing. Did you clean your room? No. Or go clean your room. A couple hours go past, come back. Did you clean your room? No. But I can say, clean your room in Greek now. <laughs> and, and I think that is a picture of what has happened in many people's lives, in many churches. We've, we've, we've feasted on... The Bible and neglected to do what it says. And and a watchful life will be attentive, not just to to reading the Word, but doing the Word, applying it. This is one of the reasons why at Christ City we, we get together in community groups. Did you know this? One of the reasons we get together in community groups is so that as we discuss what has been spoken on a Sunday we can wrestle with what is the application for our lives? How do we live this out? What's the change that we make? That's one of the reasons why we do community groups, to apply what we hear on a Sunday. See, I, I think it's possible that we could be an expert on God's word, but be an infant in its application. And, and this is part of what was happening in Corinth. This leads us to our second point, to be watchful over your heart. Look at verse 14. It says, let all that you do be done in love. Let all that you do be done in love. So here we see that Paul is not content to only address the beliefs and the behaviors of the people, but he also wants to address the motives of their heart. He he understands that that sometimes what we see outwardly isn't a true reflection of what's going on on the inside. And so he exhorts the Corinthians and us. He says, you know, be watchful over your life and be watchful over your heart. And and remember that, that Paul addressed this to the Corinthians back in chapter 13. Right, He exposed the issues of the heart that, that plagued the Corinthians as he spoke about love. Remember, he said, If I speak in tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but if I have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all that I have, if I have this, this remarkable generosity, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, I'm sacrificial, but have not love, I gain nothing. Right? Paul exposes that, that it's possible to do wonderful things, even wonderful things in the name of the Lord, but to have motives that are off the mark. See, we may be doing good things, standing strong in our convictions, outwardly displaying faithfulness. But in our hearts, we might be doing it with motives that serve ourselves rather than God or others. We may be doing things to earn favor. We may do it to make a name for ourselves, to look good in the eyes of others, or to quench our fear of people. Paul calls us to be attentive to these possibilities. To be aware that our motives may not be what they ought to be. Think of what what it says in Jeremiah 17, 9 and 10. It says, The heart is deceitful above all things, and desperately sick. Who can understand it? See, even even at times where we think, you know, we're good. It's possible that our motives may still be skewed. So how do we know? How, how, do, how do we be watchful over our hearts? How do we know what our motives are? Well, I, I think Paul helps us with this back in chapter four. In verse five he says, "'Therefore do not pronounce judgment before the time, "'before the Lord comes. Who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. What is is Paul saying here? He's saying that, that he doesn't even judge his own motives because he knows that the heart is deceitful above all things. But what he also knows is that there is a God who knows him, who knows his heart. There is a God who, who discerns the deepest things of our lives. And that this God, he will disclose these things. But he's also a God who loves us and is working to disclose these things now in our lives. The psalmist uh, in 139, he, he, he speaks of this. He says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. See, God doesn't just, like, leave us hanging. Uh, you know, your motives are going to be a mess, and, and then I'm going to just, like, surprise, judge you one day. We have a gracious God who lovingly invites us to come to him and to say, God, would you search me? God, would you would you show me what, what, what is out of whack in my heart? God, would you expose the, the motives that, that don't glorify you? And would you change my heart and lead me in ways that do glorify you? See, so we have a God who does this for us. And to be watchful over our hearts means that again and again and again we come to him recognizing the capacity for our hearts to be wrongly motivated we come again and we say lord search me lord would you know my thoughts would you expose these things and by your spirit and by your grace would you change this heart that my motive would be love love for you love for one another lord would you do that work This is what it means to be watchful over our hearts. This brings us to our third point. Be watchful over your relationships. Now, as we come to this point, we've been, we've been narrowed in on these two verses: verse 13, verse 14. And now pull back. Pull back in the text. And what do we see? What is the context that that has brought about this this conversation about watchfulness? Well, verse 10 and 11, what, what does Paul do there? He's addressing relational dynamics between the church and Timothy. Verse 12, Paul speaks about Apollos and his plans to visit the church. Verses 15 through 18, Paul addresses relational dynamics between the church and Stephanus and, and other leaders. And, and then you have 13 and 14, this command about watchfulness and standing firm and, and being strong, nestled right in the middle of it. What's the context? Relationships. Relationships in the church. Something about Paul talking about these people and remembering them, thinking about the church, thinking about relational dynamics. He pauses, he stops, he shifts gears, and he says, be watchful. The context is how we're relating to one another. And Paul wants us to recognize that Our standing firm in the faith, our being watchful, is not only about us. See, we don't do it just for our own good, although it is good for us. But there's more at play as we are called to be watchful over our lives. Because we don't live our lives in a spiritual vacuum. Right? What we do personally impacts the other. How we live has an impact on the church. And we need to see this. Because Paul is wanting to inspire us with something bigger than ourselves. Paul is calling us to something greater than just our own personal piety. He's he's inviting us in to something beautiful that our lives would be lived with watchfulness, seeking to honor God for a greater purpose than just ourselves. See, to belong to Jesus, it means that we belong to one another. And what we do individually, invariably, will impact the whole. Remember back in chapter 12, Paul's teaching on what it means to be the body of Christ, remember what he said. He said, now you are the body of Christ, individually members of it. We belong to one another. And further, he goes on to say, if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice. What one experiences impacts the other. Now look at verse 12. Okay? Hold that idea in mind and look at verse 12. It says, Now concerning our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to visit you with the other brothers, but it was not at all his will to come. He will now come when he has opportunity. So Apollos was a co-laborer of Paul. He helped Paul to establish the church in Corinth. And, And if we remember back early in the letter, there were, there were issues with leadership in that the people were ascribing their loyalty to one leader over another to advance their own goals. One was saying, Apollos is the leader. Another was saying, Paul is the leader. And there was this competition and fighting and divisiveness um, around who was leading in the church. And so as we look at Paul's comments on Apollos, a, a few things ought to be noted. First thing we notice is that Paul and Apollos have different ideas about the ministry. Paul thinks Apollos should should visit soon, and Apollos has other plans in mind. The second thing we notice is a difference of opinions. And, And in that, Paul is okay to release his agenda. He's okay to submit to what Apollos wants. Paul shows humility. He trusts that what's best, that the Lord will bring about. Third, Apollos was a gifted teacher. And part of the, the, the competition that the people were, were stirring up was around his gifting. Well, he's the, he's the great preacher, so, so he's the guy. But what we notice here as Paul is, is urging that Apollos would come is that, that Paul is not threatened by him. Paul is not in competition with Apollos. But Paul would, would love for Apollos to, to go and minister amongst the, the Corinthian people. But what is most, I think, important for us, all of these things are, are pictures of what's happening in that relationship. What is, is most striking is this. Hear Paul's words. I strongly urged him to visit you. I strongly urged him to visit you. And I think here we we actually get a glimpse of Paul's heart. Why is Paul strongly urging him? Why does it matter so much for Paul that Apollos would go? It's not for Paul's sake. It's not even for Apollos' sake. Here's what we need to see. Paul is urging Apollos because Paul believes that what Apollos can bring is what's best for the church. See, Paul's heart in in, in verse 12 as he talks about Apollos and then as we look at at verse 15 through 18 as he talks about Stephanus, his heart is what is best for the church. His heart is is to see the church flourish through the ministry of Apollos, through his own ministry, through Stephanus doesn't matter. It's not about him. It's not about them. But it's about what Jesus is doing through his people, the church. And so he lays down his own agendas. He humbles himself for the sake of the people of God. And this, this is why we ought to be a watchful people. Because as Paul paints this bigger vision, we realize that there's something bigger than ourselves going on. That that Jesus has not saved us out of sin only, but he saved us out of sin and into a family, into a people. And he's saying, be watchful over your lives, not just for your own sake, but for the sake of the other. Be watchful so that the church would flourish. Why? Because this neighborhood needs you. Because there are lost people who don't know Jesus. And and God has chosen the church as as this organism that would manifest his glory to the watching world. And this is why watchfulness matters. This is why Paul, as he thinks about people and the church, he stops and he says, guard your lives. Because when you don't, things become a mess The glory of Christ is veiled, the gospel distorted, and people miss out on the glorious good news of Jesus. So, church, guard your lives. Guard your lives, guard your heart. Be attentive to our relationships so that, that Christ City here in East Van would flourish in the gospel. And that the good news of Jesus would go out to this neighborhood. That many would come to know him. Many would join the body here, bring their gifts to build up this church so that more and more and more would come to know him. Let's pray. (sighs) Yeah, Father, we uh, come before you and, 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 and confess that we are not always a watchful people. And we, we need reminders again and again and again to be attentive to the gospel, to your word, to your spirit, to one another. And we ask that you would do that work in us, even this week. That you would grow us in, in some way in watchfulness. And that you would work through that in our lives for the good of this people for the good of this neighborhood, this city. And so we, Lord, we ask, would you, would you do this in us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.